Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 38 to 42. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. If you can choose your translation, we're actually going to be looking at the English Standard Version, okay? So the ESV. Luke 10, 38 to 42. This is the reading of God's Word. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Amen. Um, well, uh, if you were with us last week, uh, you know that this summer we're doing a series called Unlearn and Relearn. And, and the idea that's kind of driving this series is that all of life is really just a process of learning, unlearning, and relearning. Right? Like everything, every mindset that we've adopted, all the habits that we've adopted, these are things that we've learned, unlearned, and had to relearn over time. And our relationship with Jesus kind of operates the same way. There's a lot of learning, there's a lot of unlearning and relearning. And so um, in this season, you know, when we're kind of all having to unlearn a, a way of life, you know, that, that kind of has defined us for the past 16 months, and relearn new habits and, and bring back some semblance of normalcy, we thought uh, this would be a great um, opportunity for us to also look at what are some destructive habits, patterns, and narratives that we've adopted for ourselves um, that pull us away from Jesus, and then what are some constructive habits, patterns, and narratives we can replace those things with, and how does the gospel help us get there, okay? So if you're taking notes, uh, we know we have our students joining us, we know we have children joining us, wanted to make this series as kind of simple and palatable as, po as possible, so each week we're going to answer three questions. What do we have to unlearn? What do we have to relearn? And how does the gospel help us get there. So basically, you know, every week when you come to church, you can, you can already have those things uh, in your phone or in your notes. Uh, what do we have to unlearn? What do we need to relearn? And how does the gospel help us get there? Okay. And uh, we're starting with a big one today, uh, one that I feel is so relevant to our culture, so relevant to our church. And we're starting with this thing called busyness. Okay, busyness. Uh, I wanted to talk about this early on in the series because, well, things are starting to get busy again, right? I don't know if you've noticed or if you felt it, but I'm sure your calendars are starting to uh, fill up again. Uh, you're starting to get invited to events. You're starting to have to go to weddings with actual people. And for the past 16 months, everything shut down, right? No celebrations, no events, no birthday parties. Like, it was an introvert's dream, okay? And, and our Sunday attendance has, has never been so good um, that it, as it was during the pandemic because our church is so busy, we always had places to go, but all of a sudden, for the past 16 months, we were quarantined in our own homes, 
right? There was nowhere to go, no one to see, but all of a sudden coffee dates are coming back, concerts are coming back, sporting events and kids' activities are coming back, and just like that, busyness is back with a vengeance, okay? And it's not gonna let up anytime soon because I would say the world that we live in makes it easier than ever to be busy. Um, you know, everyone here knows this, but you can text someone, uh, you can uh, email someone at work, and you can golf all at the same time, right? You can now hop on a Zoom chat while you're running errands, while you're purchasing things on Amazon. It's not even able to do things back-to-back, -back, one thing back-to-back -back anymore. Now we can do multiple things back-to-back, -back. okay? This is the world that we live in, and if you can, why wouldn't you, right? We're always saying there's so much to do, so little time, so why not? And people are saying that busyness is the disease of the new millennium. And it really is a sickness, right? Some of us have found ways to be busy all the time. Some of us found ways to be busy during the quarantine. You know, I talked to some of you, uh, you know, this past year, and I was like, how are things? And you were like, so busy. And I was like, how? With what? And yet the people who want to be busy can stay busy. And busyness is such an addiction that we don't even know that we're addicted to it. And the symptoms of busyness are always the same. Anxiety, stress, and exhaustion. If today you're here and you're anxious, stressed, and exhausted, most likely you're busy. I mean, how can you not be anxious, stressed, and exhausted when you schedule back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back meetings? When you're on three different text threads with three different groups of people because you scheduled three different vacations uh, all throughout this summer? How can you not be busy? And contrary to what you may think, busyness doesn't just happen to you. You're not just born busy. Some people say, I don't know what to do. I'm just busy. This is how I am. And I would argue that no, busyness often happens when we willingly choose to fill our schedules with things that we don't need. It's my job. Well, it's just this project. It's church. I'm just busy. I don't know what to do. And yes, there are seasons in life where we're definitely more busy than others, right? If you are a parent with young kids, I get it. There will never not be a day when you don't feel busy and you don't feel like your house is utter chaos, right? I get it. I know that some of our jobs are more stressful than others. But I would say that even if I were to take the parents in this room and I were to say, let me see your schedule, I guarantee you that I would see many things on there that you don't need to do, but you've chosen to do because we can't stop. We're habituated into a mindset that tells us that our lives have no meaning unless we're running around doing a million things. Um, there's a famous New York Times article written by Tim Kreider back in 2012, and it was called The Busy Trap. And this is what he says. He says, busyness serves as a kind of existential reassurance, a hedge against emptiness. Obviously, your life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you are so busy, completely booked, in demand every hour of the day. 
And more often than not, busyness is purely self-imposed. Work and obligations they've taken on voluntarily, classes and activities they've encouraged their kids to participate in, People are busy because of their own ambition or drive or anxiety because they're addicted to busyness and dread what they might have to face in its absence. Being busy means you're important, you're valued, you're needed. I want to read that again. Being busy means you're important, you're valued, and you're needed. So true, isn't it? Someone asks you, hey, are you doing anything this week? You know what the most embarrassing thing is? You look at your calendar and you're like, I got nothing. It's wide open. Uh, I don't have anything to do. And, and we may not want to admit it, but I think we all secretly want to be the kind of people that peop other people have to book things with us months in advance. We hate being busy, and yet we kind of love it at the same time. And this is exactly what we're seeing in our text today. If you grew up in the church, you've probably heard this familiar story of Mary and Martha, uh, two sisters as different as two sisters can possibly be. They're hosting Jesus in their home. And you have one sister, Martha, who's having a panic attack in the kitchen. She's running around, uh, getting this meal ready, trying to put together the perfect meal for Jesus. Um, she is, she's probably been cleaning all day, uh, everything was probably left to her. Uh, she's got the china out. She's got the charcuterie board ready, uh, ready for the gram, right? She got four different pots on the stove. Um, and then you have Mary, the annoying little sister who's just chilling, right? And typically, uh, when we've heard this story in Sunday school, it was always Martha was the villain and Mary was the hero. Don't be like Martha. Be like Mary, right? Don't be like, don't, don't be like, stop running around. Just be calm. Just be collected. And I would say that the older I get, the more this passage upsets me. I'm sure it upsets you. Because I don't know if you look around, it's very easy to be Mary when you don't have to be Martha, right? It's very easy to be like Mary when you don't have to be Martha. Of course, it's easy to be calm and collected when you're not the one taking care of the kids. Of course, it's easy to be calm and collected when you're not the one paying the bills, when you're not the one making things happen, when you're not the one other people rely on to get things done. And there's nothing more infuriating than having someone come up to you while you're doing everything and saying, hey, you okay? Just calm down. Just rest. Just rest in Jesus, right? There's nothing more infuriating than that, and I'm sure many of us can relate to Martha. You're just trying to stay afloat. You're just trying to make ends meet. You're just trying to be a good parent. You're trying to be a responsible son or daughter, trying to be a faithful student, just trying to survive, and you feel like it's never enough. It's never good enough. You need to do more. You're not loving enough. You're not doing enough. And you're tired of people telling you, just calm down. And what makes this even more difficult is that we live in a world run by Marthas. We live in a world full of Marthas. We live in a world where you're rewarded for being like Martha. They say that this is the first generation 
where busyness and exhaustion are considered virtues, where a full Google calendar is the new status symbol and you feel like you're lacking something or you're getting left behind if you're just sitting around while everyone else is busy going somewhere, doing something, becoming someone. And when you see everyone around you making moves, climbing the corporate ladder, enrolling their kids in sports and art classes and after school programs, when you see everyone getting married, settling down, it's hard not to become Martha. And therein lies the fundamental human problem. All of us are trying to prove ourselves. All of us want to be valued. All of us want to be called significant. All of us are searching for meaning. And so we do and we do and we do because we believe we will get that validation if we just do a little bit more, if we're just a little bit more busy, if there are more things because we're busy, me, busy means we're important. Busy means we have something people want. Busy means we're needed. And this is what we see happening inside Martha. She believes that she needs to prepare the best meal possible for Jesus. So here she is exhausted, slaving away because she believes that is what will validate her before her Lord. And when the people around her don't help her achieve her goals, she can't help but feel bitter, overwhelmed, and anxious. Listen to what she says to Jesus in verse 40. She says, tell her then to help me. If you see that I'm dying here, why don't you tell her then to help me? Notice, she doesn't say, Jesus, can you please ask her to come help me? No, she says, tell her then to help me. Who's the one in charge here? Is it Jesus or is it Martha? You see, in this scene, Jesus and Mary are just pawns for Martha. It's her show. It's her agenda. It's her way. She has something she needs to do, and she needs them to help her do it. Tell her then to help me. And this is what busyness does. It blinds us to our selfishness and it blinds us to God and to others. Okay, so number one was what do we have to unlearn busyness? Number two, what do we have to relearn? Well, what's the alternative? If busyness is what we have to unlearn, what do we have to replace it with? And the answer is presence. We have to relearn what it means to be present with God and with others, we see it in Mary, who sits at the Lord's feet and listens to his teaching. And contrary to popular belief, Mary is not lazy. Okay, a lot of people think Martha is the busy bee and Mary is lazy. And every time we've heard this story, Mary is often portrayed as, having, as doing nothing. But at that time, if we understand the context of this passage, sitting at the feet of Jesus seem, can seem like a passive act, but this was a decisive, active act. In the Bible, to get at someone's feet meant to be under that person's authority, meant to be under that person's instruction. It was like going to college, but with a rabbi, right? So when Mary puts herself at Jesus' feet, she's submitting focused time to listen to God, uh, to listen to God's word, she's practicing presence. If you notice what Jesus says in verse 41, he says this, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. 
Look, you're busy doing all these things that you think are so urgent, but don't you see you're missing the most important thing? You're missing the only thing that matters. Now, obviously, Jesus is not saying, so just stop working, stop cooking, right? So please don't go to work tomorrow morning and just sit at your desk and read God's word and pray and tell your boss, it's because my pastor told me I just need to sit at Jesus' feet. Do not do that, right? What Jesus is saying here is that in your anxiety and in your hurry to take care of all these things that you think are so urgent, you're neglecting the one thing that matters. You're neglecting the one thing you actually need to survive. Presence is when we learn how to prioritize the important things over the urgent things. Um, back in 1967, uh, Charles Hummel published this little booklet called Tyranny of the Urgent. And in it, he talks about the tension that exists between the urgent things in life and the important things. And something he says that's very profound is he says, everyone thinks if something is urgent, it must be important. But he says, it's actually the contrary. The two are enemies of each other. The things that are urgent are very rarely important, and the things that are important are very rarely urgent. And when you think about it, isn't it always the urgent things that make us anxious and troubled? Isn't it always the urgent things that keep us busy? Isn't it always the urgent, th urgent things that take up our headspace and keep us from being present with God and others? And you know why we can't stop? Why we're going, 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 doing, doing, doing? It's because the urgent things are far more immediately gratifying than the important things. Right? We live in a culture that is results-oriented. It's so much easier to check things off a to-do list than it is to actually be present with God and other people, right? It's so much easier to drive your kids around from one extracurricular activity to the next. That is always far more immediately gratifying than sitting with your kids, spending time with them, asking them how they're doing, asking them what they're afraid of. Busyness tends to the urgent things. Presence tends to the important things. Isn't it funny that uh, a lot of times we're often so busy doing things for God and doing things for other people that we often forget to just be with God and be with other people, right? And I love the subtle nuances in this text. It says in verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Martha was distracted with much serving. How can you be distracted from something good? How can you be distracted while doing something so no noble? You see, Martha thought she was being so selfless. She thought she was being so sacrificial in her busyness. But when, she re when it really came down to it, she realized, oh my goodness, I'm not serving Jesus. I'm serving myself. She was distracted with much serving. You see, for Martha, Jesus was really just a means to an end. He wasn't the end in and of itself. It looks like she's serving him, 
but really she's just serving herself. And what Martha is confronted with here is that as much as she runs around, as, much, as busy as she keeps herself, as much as she tries to do what she thinks is right, she's missing the most important thing. Well, what do we do about this sickness of busyness that I know we all suffer from? And this is the last point. How does the gospel help us get there? How does the gospel help us to be more present with God and with others? And the first thing we need to realize is that Jesus knows. Jesus knows. Notice what Jesus says in verse 41. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. It's Jesus' way of acknowledging Martha's anxiety and fear. He doesn't disregard what she's feeling. He says, look, I know there are a lot of things on your plate right now. I know your headspace is full of things. I know you're anxious. I know you're busy providing for your family. I know you want to get married. I know you want to get a promotion. And you're anxious and troubled by all these things. But you're really just looking for one thing. And it's the thing your sister has found. He says, Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The one thing you want is validation. You want someone to acknowledge you. You want someone to approve of you. You want someone to accept you. And I'm telling you that you already have it with me. This is what Jesus is saying. And it can seem like Jesus is scolding Martha. But the fact that he says, Martha, Martha, is very telling. Because when you read the Bible, the doubling of a name always, always signifies intensity and magnification of feeling and emotion. When Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac, uh, his son Isaac, God calls out to him and he says, Abraham, Abraham. Right? Um, when God calls out to Moses from the burning bush, right? Moses thinks his life is over. He thinks he's past his prime. He thinks he doesn't have a purpose anymore. God calls out to him from the burning bush, and he says, Moses, Moses. When David holds his son in his arms when he's dead, he says, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. Names are doubled to signify the importance of that person to the speaker. And so when Jesus says, Martha, Martha, he wants her to know how precious she is to him. He's not trying to make her feel bad about her busyness. He wants her to know, I see you and I love you. Martha, Martha. You know, um, I can tell you that these past few weeks have been very crazy for me and our entire staff. Right? Because there are so many things that came with needing to reopen the church, getting this space ready. And every Sunday now, we're back in the grind of doing things, of being busy doing church. And I felt like this passage was such a rebuke for me because even 10 minutes before, this, before the service started, I felt like God was saying, Jason, Jason, you're anxious and troubled by many things, but one thing is necessary. And if you're sitting here today and you are already running down a list of things that you have to do this week, you're sitting here and you know, like, oh my gosh, I forgot to send that email. I got to message that person. I got to have that conversation. I got to get coffee with that person. I got to host this person. I got to do this, this, and this, and this for work. Let me just say today, God is saying, 
my son, my son, my daughter, my daughter, you are anxious and troubled by many things, but only one thing is necessary. You know, there's another important moment in Jesus' life when he doubles a name, and it's on the cross. And when he's hanging there on the cross, he says, Eloi, Eloi, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's this moment when Jesus Christ, the only person in human history who did what Mary did to perfection, who submitted his heart, head, and hands to the will of God, the only one who was perfectly present with God and other people, this is the moment when he lost the presence of the Father. Why? So that you and I would know the Father's love. The cross is Jesus' way of saying, you don't have to do anymore. There is nothing left for you to do. You're accepted. You're loved. You're approved of. You're already cherished. You don't have to perform or break your back or take on a hundred more things to be validated. And it's only when we fully grasp this that we are freed of our need to be everything to everyone, to be five places at once. It's only this truth that allows us to be fully present with God and to those he's entrusted to our care. Friends, I know that um, this season uh, is, is going gonna, is gonna to get crazier and crazier. Today is June 13th, and June 15th, they say that all the, all the mandates are going to be lifted in California. And so I, I know that people <laughs> have been repressed, and they're just like waiting for that moment to happen. And all of a sudden, things are going to just pick up so fast. You're going to get swept up into the busyness of this season, and it's going to be so easy to start prioritizing the urgent over the important. And today I just want to say, may we learn the heart of Mary. May we learn what it means to sit at the feet of Jesus, knowing that everything we're trying to accomplish with our busyness has already been given to us in him. And in a moment, our worship team is going to come up and they're going to lead us in two songs of praise. And I know that usually that is the time when you're already thinking about what's going to happen after church. I know that's the time when you're gonna, you, you're, your mind is starting to race about Monday and the things that you have to take care of and the errands you have to run. And I'm just going to say, I know you're anxious and troubled about many things. But as we worship God together in this space or at home, may we remember that only one thing is necessary. And may we learn how to submit this focused time and be present with God because he is fully present with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for this poignant word today. Um, we are a busy people. Uh, we are constantly moving from uh, place to place, from group to group, vacation to vacation, and sometimes we, we don't know how to stop. And God, I know that uh, especially in this season, uh, many of us are going to just get swept right back up into busyness. We're going to get swept right back up 
and, and are, gonna, are gonna struggle to resist the temptation to start filling our calendars with things. But God, I pray that even in this moment, as we've set aside this time, this hour on Sunday mornings, I pray that we would not take this time for granted. I pray that in this moment we would begin to habituate ourselves. We would begin to learn what it feels and looks like to sit at your feet and simply worship you for who you are. And so, Lord, I pray that through the gospel, as we see that the cross is your way of saying we don't have to keep running, we don't have to perform, we don't have to do anymore, I pray that that would resonate deep within our souls and that would give us the rest we so desperately seek. Thank you, God, for your life, your death, and your resurrection that allows us to be present and allows us to know that you are fully present with us. We ask uh, for your Holy Spirit uh, to be upon us, to fill this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.